Uh, good morning. My name is Drew. I'm one of the pastors here in Church of the Redeemer. We have um, we are wrapping up today a series that we've been in in the Book of Deuteronomy. We've spent, I believe, eleven weeks there this fall, looking primarily at the Ten Commandments, but really trying to take an opportunity, as, as ridiculous as it sounds, to do the Book of Deuteronomy in eleven weeks, uh, to take the Ten Commandments and, and allow them to springboard us into other parts of the Book of Deuteronomy. And so today, what we want to do is we want to go back to the beginning of the book, to chapter 8, which is really kind of a paradigmatic text, if I could use a big word, for uh, what Deuteronomy is trying to teach us about how God deals with us and about our lives. Uh, One of the things that I have been pleasantly surprised in, and it's always fun when when you think you know, know, okay, I've kind of got a handle on this, it's going to be okay, and then something really surprises you. And the thing that has really surprised me the most about this book of Deuteronomy is really the call to remember. If you remember what we've said week after week after week, these Ten Commandments, as they come to us here in the book of Deuteronomy, they are unveiling for us. They are showing us God's design as he has created us in our humanity and as he expects of us in human community. These these commands, these rules he's giving us do not kill, do not. You know, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false testimony, do not covet, keep the Sabbath. All these things he's telling us to do, they are his, the revelation of his design. He made us, he knows how we work, and he's trying to show us how to have the kind of life that he's created us for. That's what's going on here. Uh, and so <clears throat> what, we under, what we see is, is you know, this beautiful command of God's design is coming to us, and yet we all are all too aware of how we constantly fail to obey the commands of God. But what's what's fascinating as you go through this book of Deuteronomy is the reason why Deuteronomy tells us we often fail in in these things. And it's not the things you would normally think. I mean, all of my life, you know, I've been, I've been by people like me, been made to feel guilty uh, because of my failure to keep God's commandments, because, you know, I've, I'm not committed enough. I'm not I, I've not sacrificed enough. I mean, there's just and, and all of those things are true. But the greater but the greater concern that the Deuteronomy gets to is the reason we fail to obey God's commands is we have spiritual amnesia. We forget. I mean, over and over again, he's trying to teach us this. This is the reason you fail to obey. You don't remember And really, this idea of remembering comes uh, is the most pointed here in Deuteronomy chapter eight. And so we're going to read this together this morning. We're going to read the entire passage. It's it's long. Buckle your seatbelt. It's 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 amazing. Um, And and I think it's going to be helpful to us this morning. So let's read uh, this chapter in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy eight, verses one through 20, thinking about this idea of remembering. Moses writes. The whole commandment that I give you today, you shall be careful to do that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you, and your foot did not swell these 40 years. Know then in your heart 
that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. <clears throat> so you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks, of water, and of fountains, and springs flowing out in the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper and you shall eat and be full and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given to you. Take care. Lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Beware, lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore with your fathers as it is this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you. So shall you perish because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. This is God's word. Now, let me ask a question. It's confession time. If you have the courage, I think we'll do a poll. That would be more fun. I'd love to know how many men in the room have ever forgotten their anniversary. Anybody have the courage? Thank you, Max. All right, a couple. There you go couple people with courage. Ladies, any of you ever forgotten your anniversary? Oh, I see some hands. I won't call, I won't I won't name. I'll be more respectful of I'll call the men out, but I'll be more respectful of the women. What's it what happens? And ladies, if you need to comment on this to your husbands, you're you're you know more than you know, glad to. What happens when a man forgets his anniversary? Mm. I mean, the wrath of God is small in comparison, right? All that stuff in verse 19 and 20 there, no big deal compared. What happens when you forget a friend's birthday? You know, what feels so yucky about that, right? It, it feels like a violation of the relationship, doesn't it? I mean, if you love somebody, then you're, you'll have that person in mind. You'll, you're going to be dreaming about that person. You're going to be thinking about them. You, you center your life on them, so to speak. And, and so to forget, you know, something as important as the day they were born just feels wrong. Now, structurally, okay, and, and without getting into all of it, structurally, Deuteronomy 8 hinges on the phrase in verse 11. Take care lest you forget. Everything that, that the writer is doing structurally is meant to pinpoint that statement. This passage is a passage about remembering, and it's, cov it's covenantal language in the Bible, this idea of remembering. <clears throat> to remember 
means. Let's define it. It means that you don't act apart from the covenant bond that defines the relationship. And so to remember the Lord means that everything you do, that everything you say has reference to the covenant relationship that God has established with you. It has reference to who he is and what he's done. Or to remember Egypt, right, which is what we've seen over and over again in this in this um, study to remember Egypt means that everything you do and everything you say has reference to the story of what God has done to bring you out of Egypt and into the land that he's promised. So to remember means to bring the past to bear upon the present or to interpret our present circumstances in light of God's unknown faithfulness in the past. The Dictionary of Biblical Imagery defines it this way. The scripture calls God's people to walk backwards into the future, always keeping an eye on the past. You walk backwards into the future. What we've seen over and over again in our study of Deuteronomy is that all gospel obedience comes from remembrance. So over and over again, Moses has been telling us, remember you were slaves in Egypt. Remember the Lord brought you out of there. And so in Christian morality, the present always has reference to the past. If God commands you to do something, then the rationale and the energy for obeying that command comes from putting, from beholding, as we sang a minute ago, what he has already done in the past to save you. A great example from our community Bible reading this week. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is walking along the road with his disciples, and the disciples get freaked out um, because he starts mentioning bread, and, and, they, and they start to talk to themselves and say, we don't have any bread. I mean, he needs bread, and we don't have any bread. Now, what's ridiculous about the whole scene is it happens right after the feeding of the 5,000 consecutive with the feeding of the 4,000. Now, do you remember what happens in the feeding of the 5,000? What does Jesus do? There's no bread. He produces bread. Just in case they didn't get the point, a few days later, there's 4,000. There's no bread. What does he do? He provides bread. And yet, here they are walking on the roads, and the disciples are just, they're scared, they're afraid because they don't have bread. And Jesus, in a way that only he can do, kind of shuffles up next to him and says, guys, do you not remember the five thousand the five loaves for the five thousands and how many baskets you gathered do you not remember the seven loaves for the four thousand and how much was left over don't you remember how can you be how can you be afraid of not having any bread after i've just you've already forgotten what i just did so all all of our obedience When God commands you to do something, the rationale and the energy for obeying that command comes from what he has already done. Don't forget the the five loaves for the 5,000. Don't forget the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how much was left over because you're not going to be able to figure out what it means to be my disciple. That's what he's saying to them. But here in this passage, there's a story that's taking place kind of behind the scenes in this passage, and it's the story of God coming to his people Israel who... have been slaves in Egypt for 400 years. And yet he has come to rescue them, to bring them out. He has taken them through 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. And he is, as as Moses is composing Deuteronomy, he is about to bring them into the land that he promised Abraham 500 years ago. And it's in the context of that story that what we see 
uh, is this call to remember the Lord in the midst of of what he is doing to bring salvation to us. Now, there's an irony here that I want to set up and then I'm going to go through the three points and we're going to we're going to get at it. But the irony is just this. okay? there's really a contrast that's happening here in this passage between the wilderness and the land of promise or the land of blessing. Do you see that the first few verses are about how God led them in the, the wilderness and then the last part of the chapter is about what it's going to be like when they go into the land of promise. Now, the irony is this, that the wilderness, which is a place of testing and trial, the wilderness produces blessing in the end. But the promised land, which is the place of blessing in the end, becomes a place of testing. Can I, okay, you see that there's an irony, the wilderness, which is by definition, a place of testing really becomes the place of blessing in the end and the promised land which is the place of blessing, ultimately is, is really a place of testing. You see, nobody wants to live in the wilderness. <laughs> nobody. And yet ultimately, it is the place where the people of God experience the fullness of God's presence and his provision. Everybody wants to live in the promised land. You know, everybody wants to experience wealth and prosperity and ease and comfort. And yet, what the scripture's teaching us here is that is a harder environment for faithfulness. I mean, nobody would choose the wilderness over the promised land. And what we have to ask of our hearts is, is that may mean that nobody really wants God. We just want a nice, safe, comfortable life. So three things we're going to look at this morning, really two, and then just kind of tack a few things on at the end, if I was honest. First, <clears throat> in talking about remembering, what does it mean to remember in bad times? Secondly, what does it mean to remember in good times? And then thirdly, how can we begin to think about how we really can begin to remember through rituals and celebrations and then talk about Thanksgiving. So remembering in the bad times, remembering in the good times, and then some get a handle on some of the ways we can remember, okay? So let's just let's just start right there. See, there's some of you in the room that are going through a bad time, and then there are others of you that are going through a good time. And so the sermon should get, get you no matter where you are. And it may be that it's kind of good and bad altogether, and that'll be great. But let's talk about remembering in the bad time. Okay, if you're if you're going through a bad time, how does God, remembering God's goodness move you to persevere courageously? Now, the first part of our passage here describes how God is related to his people as they wandered through the wilderness. You'll remember the story. God brought them out of Egypt. He led them into the wilderness. He led them to the edge of the promised land. They sent spies over into the land. The spies came back and reported that there were giants there. The Lord was not big enough to save them. Let's not go in there. We need to We need to just maybe go back to Egypt, but we can't. And so the Lord got frustrated with them and said, because you've done this, you're going to wander for 40 years. So Moses is coming back to the people at the end of this 40-year wandering in the wilderness. And so what is a wilderness? And it hardly needs explanation or description, does it? A wilderness is a place of testing. It's, it's described in the Bible as a place where there is no water. It's, it's hard times. It's suffering and temptation and trial. But maybe we could use these two realities to just say a wilderness is thorns and thirst. The wilderness is thorns and it's thirst. And so when you find yourself in a wilderness, and I know a lot of you are there, you've lost your job or there's uncertainty about the future of your job or things are really tough or your kids are just going crazy uh, and you're beginning to think, here's, I know, here's what's happening. You're, you're, you're going to begin at some point if you find yourself in a wilderness to think God hates me, he's against me, I'm doing something wrong. And there may, need, there may be need for repentance. I don't want to discount that, but I want to say Probably that's not true. If you are a true child of God you're in the, and you're in the wilderness, God's not against you. 
is fathering you. Look at that little phrase in verse 16. If you find yourself in the wilderness. Verse 16, he, he God fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know that he might humble you and test you. Do you see that? And then look at this phrase to do you good in the end. Now. Lesson on fatherhood. But what I mean by that, when I say if you belong to Jesus Christ, if your faith is in him and you find yourself in a wilderness, God is not against you. He's testing you. He's fathering you because you see two things that we have to see about fathering as it's manifested to how God relates to his people here. And then obviously implications in our lives. The first is a good father always tests and disciplines his sons. A good father disciplines And I I apologize for all the cracking behind me. A good father disciplines his sons. You see, the wilderness in our lives, the wildernesses in our lives are not punishments. When you find yourself in a wilderness, God hasn't abandoned you. It's the exact opposite. You're not being punished. You're being tested and disciplined. Look at the language Moses uses, beginning in verse 2. Excuse me. He says, the Lord led you. He's he's speaking to Israel. He's rationalizing with Israel about this. He says the Lord led you, verse 2. In other words, I mean, do you understand that? God arranged the circumstances. I mean, if you're in a wilderness, he's led you there. He's arranged those circumstances. Why? Verse 2, the Lord humbled you. He's wanting to he's wanting to break through the false realities that have become a part of your life and to bring you back to the true reality. He goes on to say the Lord has tested you. He's testing you. And that word just means, it means this. It's that a good father will intentionally, I mean, do you know this about? A good father will intentionally put difficulties into the lives of his children to force them to confront their fears and their weaknesses. And that's what the Lord's doing. He's testing them so that they can come to know their strength. And then all of it comes to a head in verse 3, where he says that the Lord has led you, he's humbled you, he's tested you. But in verse 3, he says he's teaching you. He humbled you and let you hunger that you might know that you might come to know the Lord's trying to teach them a powerful lesson. And if you're in the midst of a wilderness, God is he's leading you. He's humbling you. He's testing you. He wants to teach you. He's disciplining you. And so look at this passage. Jonathan, will you put it up there for me? This passage. From Hebrews chapter 12, which to me this week is so powerful. For helping us understand what God is doing when we find ourselves in difficult circumstances. Uh, I'm just going to read it to you. Deuter- uh, excuse me. Hebrews 12, 15 through 13. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you had to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left, just, I mean, listen to this. If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Beside this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we might share in his holiness for the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it 
Now, if you can get that in your head, all that theology, then, then here's what it's going to do. Verse 12, therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. See, a good father disciplines his children because he loves them. And he realizes his job is not to make them happy, but to get them ready. Uh, it's fun with my daughter, my two-year-old Sarah. Um, she She's very quick to pass her verdict. Uh, she will often climb into my lap and pat me. I'm, I'm having to teach her not to slap me, but to actually pat me. You a good daddy, daddy. Now, when she says that, it's usually because she's very pleased with my performance as her father because I've been especially nice to her at that moment. Not very often after a discipline session does she hop up into my lap and say, you're a good daddy, daddy. It's often because I've met her expectations and she's happy with all that I have done for her as her daddy. But I want you just to see God loving you doesn't mean he gives you everything you want. No sane, rational father would grant every request his children can come up with. God loving you means he disciplines you. He tests you. Moses says he let you hunger. That's what the writer of Hebrews says. You know, so don't despise his discipline. Now, not only does a good father discipline his children. Terry, I think I'm going to move to this microphone over here. Is that okay? I'm just going to grab this one instead. What's happening is the battery's going down on this on this mic. Let's see if I can get set up. Not only does a good father discipline his children, but even as he disciplines them, he provides for them. So look with me further. There we go. All right. Praise the Lord. Uh, The way Moses puts this is very important. Look at verse 3 with me. And in verse 3, he says, the Lord let you hunger. Now, let me just ask a question. How many of you believe that that's love? Carter's laughing. He let you hunger. That he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone. So do you realize this is the way God works in your life? He will often let you hunger. (laughs) He will often leave you for a time in your need until you're stripped of every other hope. Or until you exhaust every other option. And there's only one thing left, and that's that he has to come to your rescue That's the lesson. That's the lesson he's trying to drive home to our hearts and his fathering of us. That he sustains. He provides. We don't provide for ourselves. We don't arrange our lives. God cares for us. And if you remember that, that, that little phrase there to teach us that man may live, that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from his father's mouth. If you remember in Matthew 4, The devil comes to Jesus to tempt him, and he says, Jesus, I know you're hungry. You've been out here for 40 days with no food. There's some stones. Why don't you turn those stones into bread? He's tempting Jesus to provide for himself and not to rely upon his father for his sustenance and for his strength. And Jesus won't do it. And the scripture he quotes, I mean, Jesus is not going to rely on himself. He's going to rely on his father's love. And the scripture he quotes is the scripture in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Man does not live by bread alone. So you see, a good father disciplines his son, and a good father provides for his son. So then if that's true, then how do you find joy 
in the midst of going through a hard time? Where does the joy come from? And if you look in verse 5, you'll see the phrase that really the whole thing hinges on. And it's the phrase there, know in your heart. You see that? Know in your heart. A lot of us know. You know, we know God's our Father. We kind of have this vague notion of what that means, but we don't know, know. And so we got to ask the question, how's that happen then? How do you start to know, know? And the answer is you have to remember. You have to remember. And so what I've done is, Jonathan, you're going to put Psalm 77 up here for me. And I want you to see Psalm 77, and I just want you to just feel the impact of, of what the psalmist is doing here. And he begins the psalm. This is a great Thanksgiving psalm, by the way. This would be great for you to read to your families around the dinner table on Thanksgiving. He, he says, I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. I mean, some of you are there. I mean, that's just where you are. Now, look what he does. Skip down to verse 6, and he says, I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? He is, he Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? And then I said, I will appeal to this. Now watch, there's going to be a transition that happens in his countenance here, okay? Just watch for it. Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will what? Remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all of your works and meditate on your mighty deeds, your way. And now watch what happens. So he's remembering what God has done. Watch what happens. He ends up with, he starts out with complaining and bitterness. He ends with worship. So he worships your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God. You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You, with your arm, redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. So he starts, uh, his soul is downcast, um, and, he, and he ends bolstered in worship. And, and the trigger is there in verse 10 when he says, I'm going to appeal to the years of the right hand of the Lord Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. I will remember your wonders of old. And I remember one night, Ashley and I were having a particular hard time, and we just said, you know what? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray together, and all we're going to do is remember. That's the only thing we're going to do. We're not going to confess sins. We're just going to make a list of all of the ways that God has proven himself faithful in the last week. Just put our hearts on that. If you do that, your discouragement will change into worship. Now, here's the thing. We're called to remember the Lord, but that is always rooted in the truth that he always remembers us, that when we are faithless, he is faithful, that he cannot deny himself, Second Timothy says. In other words, God never forgets. He never forgets. He always re- remembers with one exception. There's only one time the scripture says God forgets, and it's in Isaiah 43 and Jeremiah 31, and here's the phrase. The only time God has ever said to forget is when he says in those two places, I will forgive your iniquities and I will remember your sins no more. God will never forget you. But if your faith is in Jesus Christ, he will forget your sin. Isn't that great? I mean, what does that mean? I mean, how, how does that even happen? When Jesus, in the New Testament, when he was baptized, a voice from heaven shouted, This is my son whom my soul delights. 
With him I am well pleased. Jesus was the beloved son of the heavenly father, and yet the first thing God does to him after his baptism is he sends him out into the wilderness, hungry, thirsty, lonely, and tempted by the devil. And Jesus has has to endure that wilderness, and he did. He went and he did it for you. He was there for you. And really, we could say the cross where he hung for our sins is the ultimate wilderness. And on the cross, Jesus had thorns. They put a crown of thorns on his head. And on the cross, he has thirst. He says, I'm thirsty. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was sent into the ultimate wilderness. And the scripture teaches that God abandoned him there. And so how do you come to trust in God even in the middle of a wilderness experience? We may not always know the reasons why these things happen, but we know what those reasons are. It can't be. If you find yourself in a wilderness, it can't be because God doesn't love you. It can't be because he doesn't care. It can't be that he's abandoned you or forsaken you because on the cross, Jesus went into the howling wilderness in our place. He took the wrath of God that our sins deserve. That's the gospel. And here's how you know that he loves you. Jesus faced the wrath and the condemnation and the abandonment of God so that we never, he can turn to us and he say, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. And so Jeremiah Burroughs, a Puritan, says, all of God's strokes are strokes of love and mercy. And you see, if you're going through a bad time, you have to remember, you have to put your mind on all of the ways God has been proven faithful to you and it will keep you from discouragement and despair But even more than that, you have to remember the cross and let it convince you that God is with you because he turned against Jesus. Therefore, he will never forsake you. And that will help you persevere courageously. I'm running out of time, but I want to keep going through one more point and then just make some applications. But what about if you're going through a good time? (laughs) What about if you're going through a good time? Look again at the description in verse 7 of the land that God is going to bring them into. It is a land, a good land, plenty of water, lots of bread and grapes for wine and fruit to eat. Uh, in other words, all of, the other, all of the things they've gone without during their wilderness wanderings. And he goes on to say in verse 9, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing. Now the wording there is the same as in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in one, I shall lack nothing. Moses says, verse 10, you will eat and you will be full. The NIV, if you have that, says you will be satisfied. So this is what God does. He meets with our hunger and he provides bread. He meets with our thirst and he brings water out of a rock. I mean, he meets with our neediness and he provides for our need. Now, what's supposed to happen is all of these things that God does when we eat and we are satisfied. If you look there, we are supposed to bless him for all of those things. In other words, God's abundant provision and blessing is meant to increase our capacity to enjoy him. The irony is, is that it often does the reverse. It somehow diminishes our capacity to enjoy him because we fall in love with his gifts and we forget him. And so Moses says twice, he says, be careful. Be careful. If you're going through a good time, if you're full If you live in good houses, if your business is thriving, if your 401k is growing, do you realize the spiritual danger you're in? Be careful, because here's what happens. Verse 14, Moses says your heart can get lifted up. And Hosea warns of the same thing. The phrase means what it says. It means you can get proud and you can start to look around and you can say, man, you know, I've done pretty well for myself. 
wow, isn't it amazing what my hand and my power have done? And you forget that all of the good things in your lives are gifts. You forget that it's God's mercy that has provided these things for you. You see, in the wilderness, in the wilderness, it's easy to remember your smallness. It's easy to remember your need and your weakness. You're hungry and there's no bread. You know, you're thirsty and there's no water. You need a job and, and you don't have one. You're guilty and you have no way of buying your pardon. So it's just natural to cry out for a Savior. But what about when you're strong? What about when you're successful? Israel went from a small, nomadic people to one of the most powerful and wealthy nations on the earth. And in the process, they forgot the Lord. Once they got settled into the land, they didn't need him anymore. They could do it in their own strength. They could do it with their own resources. And here's what happens. If I can do it, then I don't need him. Now, the truth is, I always need him. But success and power and wealth create this force field of delusion that think that caused me to think I can make it on my own. And so I don't pray. And then here's here's the grossness. I don't pray until something comes along that's beyond me. And then I call him in for a quick fix. But as soon as he takes care of it, I push him to the side and politely dismiss him and get on with my life without him. And so it's hard to feel your need of him, but worse Worse is what what he's warning us of is not just that we won't in our in good times we won't feel our need of him but in good times it'll be harder for us to desire him. Both Deuteronomy eight and Hosea warn that we get full or satisfied, and so this this the fullness that the blessing of God provides works against hunger for God because you just don't feel hungry. I mean, this is what I do every time I go to Outback. You know, I go there to get a steak, but they always get me with the cheese fries. Are you with me? Right. Cheese fries, right? And then by the time the steak comes, I'm like, I can't even eat that. Right, or sometimes I push through, you know, because it's... <laughs> you got to keep going. <laughs> and that's really repentance, or at least it should be. But John Piper says, if you don't feel strong desires for the manifestation of the glory of God, it's not because you've drunk deeply and are satisfied. It's because you've nibbled so long at the table of the world, your soul is stuffed with small things and there's no room for the great. C.S. Lewis's word picture is fantastic. He says, our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us like, listen to this, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by an offer of the holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. I mean, God has made us for ourselves. God has made us for himself. And yet we so easily turn our affections to other things. And what's missing? What's missing in the good times? What's missing in the bad times is courageous perseverance. What's missing in the good time is, gra is gratitude. And if you're going through a bad time, and it's hard to, to find the courage to persevere. But if you're going through a good time, it's hard to be grateful. Right? And so what do you do? What do you do? You have to remember. I mean, in this case, too, you have to stare at the cross until it humbles you and you say, wow, that's what it took to love me. The cross is the great leveler. You look at the cross and it's easy, you know, for the poor to, and the needy and the weak to look at the cross and say, I need to be rescued. But, but it also you look at the cross and the cross says to the powerful and the wealthy and the well-connected, you need to be rescued, too. 
The cross strips all of our delusions about our power to save ourselves. The cross can humble you, and it can make you grateful. So if you're going through a good time, you need gratitude, and the way you get it is to remember. Now, if that's true, and I'm over my time, so how then, if, if, if the, what you need in a bad time is courageous perseverance, and the only way you get it is to remember, and if what you need in a good time is gratitude, and the only way you can get that is to remember, then how do we cultivate the habit of remembering whether we're going through a good time or a bad time? See, our problem is spiritual amnesia, so how do we remember? And the answer that we have in the Scripture is to pursue what one writer called a disciplined remembrance. And really, it's just twofold. I'm just going to throw these things out there, and unfortunately, if you want to talk about them more, you'll have to come find me after the service. But really, it's twofold. It's this. It's first, we have to learn to mark God's faithfulness to us, And then secondly, we have to learn how to celebrate. We have to learn how to mark his faithfulness, and then we have to learn how to celebrate his faithfulness. And this is what God did with his people, an example of marking. If you remember in the story in in the book of Joshua in the Old Testament, when the people crossed over the Jordan, the Lord caused the Jordan River to stop flowing. The people crossed over. He said, grab 12 stones from the bottom of the river and set them up on the other side. And they're going to be a marker so that every generation that comes along and says, what are those stones for? You can tell them of the day that the Lord caused the river to stop flowing. And it marked God's faithfulness. It's something we understand, isn't it? I mean, go to Washington, D.C. We as a culture mark everything, don't we? So we don't forget. We have a Vietnam memorial, so we don't forget that. We have a, you know, we have Iwo Jima, so we don't forget. So we understand this idea of we've got to learn how to mark the times where God's been faithful. And then, and then this is the good news. We've got to learn how to celebrate. I mean, part of what the Bible called God's people to from the very beginning to the very end is to be a people who celebrate that the feasts of Passover and booths and all these things there, there's a need for us to begin to learn how to celebrate the goodness of God. If you think about your own life, there's always an occasion that prompts every celebration, whether a birthday or an anniversary or a victory of some kind, some event that's so meaningful, so significant, it calls for a yearly commemoration to celebrate the memory of that thing or to remember together through the celebration. Now, and what's fascinating to me is we know how to do this, but it's usually to reinforce our family relationships or our family story. But what about this family? What about this story? We've not figured out how to do this in regards to God's story so that it produces courage and perseverance and gratitude. And this is why, let me just say this, this is why worship is so important. What we do here is a weekly booster shot against spiritual amnesia because we come together to reorient ourselves to what is really real. And think about this. Israel had markers. They had vestments. They had celebrations. They had all, I mean, multiple layers of, of ways for them to remember. We have one meal where Jesus said, take my flesh and take my blood and remember. So how important should that be? But. And this is what's fun to think about, but even celebrations like Thanksgiving. I mean, the moms, you'll get really excited about this more so than the dads. You're going to have to lead the men out in this. But think about it with me for a minute, ladies. How can you take Thanksgiving and transform it into a meal of remembrance? Where your faith is strengthened, where the children are brought into the ongoing story of God's faithfulness. What stories would you tell? What traditions would you start? How, how, if what we need is to remember, then how can we take something like Thanksgiving and turn it? Uh, not into an opportunity to stuff ourselves with turkey and watch terrible pro football on TV in the afternoon. 
how can we take something like that and turn it into an occasion to remember? Because what Deuteronomy is teaching us is that is the thing we need more than anything else. And so let's pray and ask him to help us do that. Uh, Father, we are people who forget uh, because life is busy and it just gets overwhelming and, and it's just so easy to, to, to only think about the urgent and to not be slow enough and deliberate enough to really set our minds on you, on what you've done, on how you've proved faithful to us. And I pray that you forgive us. And I pray that you come, and, and as we gather together for worship today and next week and the week after and the week after, and as we celebrate communion together, and as we, uh, in our infancy stages, figure out what it means to be a church who live life together, a family of faith, uh, teach us, give us wisdom to know how to appropriately celebrate. And as we gather together with our families this week for Thanksgiving, I pray that it would be more than a, about more than turkey and sweet potato casserole and stuffing, as wonderful as those things are. But I pray that those would be things that we would enjoy, not for their own sake, but for your sake. And we would turn our Thanksgiving meals into worship services and in, in, in times of remembering. And that it would produce great faith in us. I pray for those who are here and are going through a bad time that you would give them great perseverance and courage and help them to remember. And I pray for those who are going through a good time that you would produce gratitude in them and help them remember whether good times or bad times, that we would be faithful and that you would get great glory. And we pray. Now, the reason we do this at the end of our service is because these words are to be an, a, an echoing reminder in your life uh, throughout the week of wherever, if you're going into a week where you're going to experience hard times or into a week where you're going to experience good times, these words echo over you the promise of the gospel. If, if you're here and your faith is not in Jesus Christ, uh, then one day you will stand before him and you will give account of your forgetfulness of him. And that will be a terrifying day. And it's what he writes about. Moses writes about that at the end of Deuteronomy 8. But if your faith is in Jesus and if you are following him and if your hope and your trust is in him alone, then we may not have good answers to the why questions in our lives, but we can know some things and we can we can and we can listen to these words as they're spoken over us and receive. Receive the truth of what our Father in Heaven says of us, which is why a lot of people, when, they, when, they, when the benediction is being given, they put their hands out like this to receive it because it's an act of faith to reach out and grab hold of these words. And so if your faith is in Jesus Christ, whether you're going to good times or bad times, receive the benediction this morning, then may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn His face towards you and give you his peace both now and forevermore. Amen. Go in his peace.